Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. This morning, I'm going to be offering the meditation instruction that we'll be practicing for the first half of the day which is metta, or loving-kindness, towards a benefactor. A benefactor is someone that it is easy to feel easeful towards. But before I talk about loving-kindness, I want to talk a little bit first about meditation in general. And for the, the Buddha, at his time, the word meditation didn't exist, nor did the word mindfulness, nor did the word contemplation. And so the word that the Buddha used to describe what we're doing here is this word bhavana, which means cultivation. And I like that word, cultivation. It sounds like something very natural, something that's pretty hopeful, no matter how overgrown or damaged a field has become, it's something that you can uproot, you can till the soil, you can nourish it, you can bring it back to life. And what are we cultivating when we're meditating? We're cultivating what's called chitta. And chitta is an interesting word because it means mind. We're cultivating the mind, but we're also cultivating, it also means heart, the heart mind. Your heart mind is a field. And we cultivate it with awareness. We cultivate it with responsiveness, with the Brahma-viharas, the practices of the heart practices. Compassion, kindness, gratitude, equanimity. And one of the first things we start to see when we practice meditation is that the mind is very well tamed. The field is pretty overgrown, pretty damaged. There seems to be, for me, always this kind of assumption that meditation should help me get rid of my mind. If I was meditating right, I wouldn't be thinking so much, or I wouldn't be so restless, or I wouldn't be so tired, or I wouldn't have so much doubt or agitation. But unfortunately, the mind is not something we can get rid of. The mind thinks thoughts just like the lungs breathe air. It's just what it does. It's in the future, it's in the past, it's in daydreams, it's commenting, it's narrating. The mind field is a minefield. The mind's not a problem. The mind is something we can cultivate, though. It's something we can develop. It's something we can train. And that's what we're doing. We're cultivating. We're training. Developing. Caring for the mind. The Buddha says, who is your enemy? The mind is your enemy. Who is your friend? The mind is your friend. Learn the ways of your mind, and then you can tend the mind with care. So you will notice the mind being your enemy at times, 
the next couple days. And we don't have to take that personally. We don't have to take that as a problem. But we can bring our curiosity. We can learn the ways of the mind. We can see what it's up to. Oh, there it is in the future, in the past, in the daydream, or in the comparison, or the judgment, the agitation, and the lethargy, and the doubt. There it is. And we can tend to the mind with care. We can cultivate loving kindness towards the mind. I like to think of meditation as two types of cultivation. The cultivation of and the training of attention and the training of intention. Probably the first practice we all are introduced to is mindfulness of the breath. You bring your attention to a place in your body where you feel your breath coming and going. You try to connect with the sensation, the felt experience of your breath as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Simple, not easy. And when the mind wanders off, you notice it, and you bring your attention back. Once again, connecting with the breath, sustaining, training attention. In this case, in developing loving kindness, the way that we train our attention is with phrases. We'll go over these phrases later, but we still have a way of practicing present awareness as we're developing loving-kindness. And much more important than where your attention goes or what it is up to over the next couple days is how you relate to your mind, your emotions, the sensations, More important than where you find your attention is how you find your attention. You know, when my dog's doing something he shouldn't be, and I say his name, his name's Dukkha, which means suffering. And I say, Dukkha! He puts his tail between his legs moves his shoulders back, lowers his head. And when we find our mind in these places, all of these places, the future, the past, the daydream, the stories, the judgments, you know, how we find our attention there is very important. Do we say, Andrew, (laughs) bad boy. Or do we say, oh, mind, I see you off in that plan, planning the next retreat when I haven't even started this one, planning my escape from this retreat before I've started this one. There you go, mind. I see you. It's okay. More important than where our attention goes is how we relate to it. Training intention. I like to think of meditating as like being a good babysitter of the present moment. So we check in. We see, how is it now? What is it like now? And we do that with a quality of kindness, a quality of friendliness, a quality of peacefulness, gentleness, of patience. Awareness alone is not enough. I always say that awareness isn't always good news, but it's good information. And so 
we can learn the ways of our mind, as the Buddha says, if we're aware. But if we're aware with a quality of kindness and friendliness, we can bring tranquility, peacefulness to the mind so that the mind is more receptive of the insights that arise. I don't know if anyone has ever tried to shame you into being a better person or punish you into being a more well-behaved person. But I find that this strategy doesn't really work. So what's needed is kindness. And kindness is something that I think we can all get behind as an idea, as a belief. But it's something that can come alive and has a lot of dimension to it. It has an understanding, a view to it. It has an emotional quality, a felt sensation to it. The intention that we're developing over the next couple days is metta, loving kindness. And I want to talk a little bit about this word and what it means. The word metta comes from the Pali Sanskrit word mitta or mitto, which means friend. I know a lot of us have hang-ups around love. Love is one of the areas that we find most meaningful in life, but also one of the areas that can be most painful in life. And I think that this practice has that full range to it. There's the ways that it feels easy to connect to and the ways that it feels hard. And so it makes a really great object of our practice. Mitta means friend. It also comes from the root word mit, which is a part of the word friend. It means fat with kindness. A friendship is an experience that is fat with kindness. I like that. The Pali Sanskrit words seem to have a better way of putting things sometimes. It's taught by the Buddha as an antidote to fear and to hatred. And at its base, it's a view. It's something that we want to align our understanding with. And meditation is the practice by which we clarify our understanding over time. Wisdom is not an intellectual belief, but it's something that arises from using things like meditation as a vehicle for experiential understanding. And so as we practice loving kindness, it becomes the object of our experiential understanding. And this understanding at its base, this view of metta, is that deep down underneath all of the reactive patterns that we've picked up over the course of our lives, we all desire at a deep level peace, happiness, and well-being. Every being desires that. The Buddha calls metta a sublime state. He calls it an indiscriminate view, a view that is unconditional. It's one of the four immeasurables. It's infinite. It's boundless. And this understanding, it can be challenging to approach that. That deep down all beings and all of their faults and all of their reactive habits and all of their violence and hatred and delusion, ignorance, that they, they too desire happiness, peace, and well-being. And there's this, uh, this thing that's been come to be known as the eternal law, that hatred doesn't cease by hatred, but by love alone is healed. So the Buddha understands as a view, it's something that we want to get behind. It's something that we want to cultivate, that view, that understanding. 
because I find that a lot of my actions flow forth from my views. What I believe and what I understand to be the way things are and the opinions I have, the beliefs I have, they inform my actions. So if I am looking to embody this view that deep down all beings, including myself, desire happiness, peace, and well-being, my actions will usually flow forward from that place. The Buddha teaches it as a view, but he also teaches it as a radiating quality. It's an attitude of kindness that can be brought towards all experience. So there are other beings. There's Callan and Mikey and Marika and Ash, and I can wish loving kindness towards these beautiful beings. But then there's all phenomena, all experience towards the unpleasant sensation in my knee, towards the unpleasant sound that's arising, towards the neutral feeling that I am bored with, towards the pleasant feeling that I am enjoying, loving kindness in all directions, unbounded. So it's an attitude of relating, relating with, Patience, kindness, gentleness, friendliness. But it's also a radiating quality in the sense that it's felt. And over time, it's something that the body can familiarize itself with. These days, when I do loving kindness practice, it's almost like immediately my body softens, my heart opens, I feel a sense of warmth at the center of my chest. And then two minutes later, my mind wanders and that goes away. <laughs> There's a plan or something to do. And then I come back to the phrase and I come back to the phrase, but I also come back to the felt experience in the body. What does that feel like? For me, when I first came to Buddhist practice, a lot of my teachers would talk on retreats and say that this was the period of the retreat, because usually you just teach it once a day in a traditional insight meditation retreat. It's usually the afternoon session, just a little dose of loving kindness. And my teachers would say that that was always the uh, session that they would skip. They wanted nothing to do with that hippy-dippy shit. They just wanted the wisdom, the emptiness, the impermanence, the freedom from suffering, not the love and light and care and kindness. And for me, it wasn't this way, actually. I think part of what was appealing to me for, with, with the Buddhist teaching is the peacefulness, the kindness, the compassion was something that I desperately wanted. So I was very interested, and I was listening when they were talking about the loving-kindness practices. But I had this feeling, and I almost this conversation with the teachers in my head where it was like, but you don't understand, I am not capable of loving-kindness. And this was very real for me. It was this experience of that everyone around me was just sitting in this warm bath of love and kindness towards all experience. And my mind was like, no way. It felt like Dharma detention. May I be at ease. May I be at peace. May I be kind and gentle with myself. May I be filled with loving kindness. And I don't know who you all grew up hanging out around, but this wasn't necessarily the credo in my group of friends to be kind, to be gentle, to be loving. And when we practice loving kindness, we can think of it in three ways. You know, sometimes it presents itself as a dry practice. It is a training of attention, right? It's a mindfulness practice. 
So when the mind wanders, we just notice it and we come back to the phrase, may I be at ease, may you be at ease. And sometimes there's not a lot of warmth and there's not a lot of connection with the practice. And that's okay. The cultivation still happens in the development of present awareness. And over time, it's like water eroding a rock. That pathway of loving kindness starts to gradually form. And the Harding crust around the heart starts to soften and starts to break out a little bit. And as we start to get in contact with the hardened crust around the heart, it also is sometimes what's called a purification practice, where you start to become acutely aware of all of the opposite of loving kindness. The judgment gets louder, the criticism gets louder. The agitation, the irritability gets bigger and stronger. And metta has a beautiful way of illuminating these places where our hearts have become shut down and closed off. Oftentimes in our personal life histories, out of necessity, self-protection. It says, you know what? I'm not really going to be open like this anymore. It's not safe for me. And so we can't be hurt if we put our heart in a room somewhere. But we also can't feel connected. We can't feel free. One of the biggest things for me when I was doing the loving kindness practice, and still to some degree to this day, is that there's this thing that John Peacock calls the myth of authenticity, which is that the, the phrases, the practice, it didn't really feel authentic. It's like something that I believed in and something that I valued, but something I didn't feel capable of and something that I just didn't have any sense of how I related to or connected with it. It didn't feel authentic. And I think in our maybe Western mindset, we've been, maybe all of our Disney movies, sorry, Mikey, I know we love Disney over here, have kind of conditioned us. They've gotten better these days, though, I will say, to believe that our, you know, life is really about following your heart, following your heart. And I think when it comes to developing loving kindness or compassion or forgiveness, if I waited until I felt like forgiving or felt like being kind to myself or felt like being loving to myself, to be loving and kind and forgiving to myself, I would wait a long fucking time. You know, it's not the feeling that comes first. It's the practice. It's the inclining of the mind. It's the turning of the mind in that direction. Ajahn Sumedho says the path is not, he says in Buddhism, the path is not to follow the heart, but to train the heart. And metta can also be a cultivation practice. It can be felt. It can be a source of connection, of familiarity. It can be, as I was saying earlier, a felt sense in the body, an emotional quality, a delightful quality. It can even be a blissful quality, a supremely tranquilizing quality. And part of my practice over time is I had become so distrusting of pleasant feelings because my relationship to them didn't have a good track record that when I started feeling the pleasantness of metta, the warmth and the peacefulness of metta, I would have to try to stay present with the pleasant. I would start to feel the warmth of my body softening or relaxing or the opening, and I would switch my phrase from the metta phrases to trust this, go with this, keep going, keep going. I had to encourage my heart and my mind to keep 
going with the loving kindness as a cultivation practice. So this is some of the background of what metta is and some of the ways that we can practice it. It can be just an attention training, a dry practice, a concentration practice, something to do, something to give the mind to focus on. It can be a purification practice, illuminating the critical, agitated, restless mind. And it can be a cultivation practice, something that's felt, something that's connected with in one's own heart. Meditation to me at times has felt like something I need to be doing and something that my mind can easily overcomplicate. If at any point throughout the day you find yourself feeling like you're not doing it right, remember your friend. Feel your body. That's the practice. Loved, heard, calmed, inspired, connected, trusted, warm, soft. The Buddha talked a lot about friendship. There's a story many of you all have heard many a time. It's only ever really one Dharma talk all over again, isn't it? Where uh, the Buddha's attendant came up to him and said, Venerable sir, I get it now. I understand it now. After all of these years of being a part of the community, the Sangha, my beloved people that are my friends in the Dharma, that the Sangha, the community, is like half of what you teach. It's so important. And the Buddha, as he always did with Ananda, said, not so, Ananda, not so. The Sangha is the whole of what I teach. It's everything. Friendship, spiritual friendship, community. Interestingly, there are these things we might talk about at some point called the hindrances. These mind states that come and obstruct and obscure our radiant heart. And the Buddha offers as an antidote to the hindrances many different techniques, things you can do, practices you can take on to work with the hindrances, to try to overcome them. And there's one antidote to all five of the hindrances. It's the one thing that shows up for every single one of them. It's good friendship and suitable conversation. When I think about unconditional love, there's a story that comes to mind for me. Of, uh, I think I was probably like 22 years old, and I had been sober from drugs and alcohol for three or four years. And I was young and I was in college and I was working really hard and I, I was living well and I was doing my best to be a good person. And despite that, I was still very miserable and depressed and felt stuck. And I remember one night I uh, had been hanging out with some friends from school and I just kind of had arrived at this place where I decided that I didn't want to be a sober person anymore. I didn't want to be in recovery anymore. I felt like going to meetings was a chore and I felt like talking to people in 12-step recovery felt so just narrow-minded and that there was so much more to life and just all of this kind of Doubt and fear and just feeling stuck came up. And I remember I was in the parking lot of this meeting. And I didn't go in because I didn't want to. Like, my body resisted it. And I remember hearing this suggestion in 
the rooms of recovery to call your sponsor before you make a decision to go get high. And, you know, I'm always going to do things the right way. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go out the right way. And I called my sponsor and I said, man, I, I'm not happy here. And I don't think that I can do this anymore. And I thought that my sponsor was going to tell me to not use no matter what and to go into that meeting and to share about my struggle and so on and so forth. I thought he was going to push back. But what he said is he said, Andrew, from the bottom of my heart, I love you and I want you to be happy. And that's it. I don't want anything else from you. And it's that type of unconditional love that helped me realize that it was up to me. It was my choice. I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to do anything. That I deserved to do what would make me happy. And then the insight set in. Well, what will make me happy? And I played the tape out. Go get the six-pack. Go get the crack rock. Go get the... I was like, oh, I don't think it's going to be that. So fortunately, I held off for the night and rediscovered really what it was was my choice. And when we love unconditionally, we give ourselves the gift of choice again. Unconditional love. There's another story of a time that I was in Turkey and I was uh, in this place called Olympus. And Olympus is this kind of rural setting in Turkey, in South Turkey, uh, where there's a lot of adventuring and kayaking and climbing and all sorts of outdoors activities. And we had just came from a town called Kosh, and it was about a three-hour drive, but you had to take a bus and then a city bus and then a rural bus to get from Kosh to Olympus. And we arrive at our hostel and we get there and the person that's working said, would you like to sign up for some rock climbing? And we said, hell yeah, let's sign up for some rock climbing. My friend looked down at his feet and he said, oh shit, I left my athletic shoes in Kosh. I only have Tevas. He's like, so I can't do any of the outdoor activities. And the person at the hostel said, wait a second, you just came from Kosh? And he said, yeah. He said, where'd you stay? And my friend said the name of the place. And he said, hold on a second. And he gets on his phone and he starts speaking in, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> Turkish. Yeah, Turkish. Very quickly. <laughs> very quickly and very animated, and it goes on for longer than is comfortable. You know when someone just is like, hold on a second, and then they just start doing something else? <laughs> and my friend and I are just sitting there, and he said, he hangs up the phone, and I shit you not, he said exactly this. He goes, your shoes will be here in three hours. And we were like, what? His cousin worked at a different hotel down the street from the place we were staying at in Kosh. And what he did is he ran up the hill, up to the top floor of the hotel where we left, he left his shoes. He grabbed the shoes and ran back down up to the very top of the hill of the city to the bus stop, gave the shoes to the bus driver, and the bus driver took the shoes to the next bus stop and gave the shoes to the next bus driver, who then gave them to the next bus driver, who then our hostile person walked up to the front of the street and grabbed them from the bus driver and brought them to my friend. Nothing in return. And I remember just being inspired by that type of generosity. So effortless, so natural. And even seeing the enjoyment in this person's face that they could help. There was a sense of pride in his ability to help, that he had a cousin in this town and that he could do this for us. This is what the Buddha says about unconditional friendship. 
He says, if you find no one to support you on the spiritual path, walk alone. If you see a wise person who steers you away from the wrong path, follow them. The company of the wise is joyful, like reunion with one's family. Therefore, live among the wise who are understanding, patient, responsible, and noble. Keep their company like the moon moving among the stars. So we'll just take a moment to sit. Today, the practice is going to be loving kindness for a benefactor, which is a person or a being. It can be a pet. It can be uh, any being. Maybe you have a favorite ghost you like to hang out with. I don't know. (laughs) A person or a being that is easy, rather effortless to feel kind towards, to feel easeful towards. And before we go into the specific practice that we'll be doing, I want to say a word about posture. Uh, The posture is a great place to bring your awareness back to throughout the day. Um, The Buddha talked about balancing effort in meditation more than any other factor of the Eightfold Path. And so balancing our energy and our effort uh, by bringing awareness to our posture is a really great place to check in. So you want to sit in a way that is upright. They say an upright body leads to an upright mind. Um, But also in a way that doesn't feel rigid or stiff. I know sometimes when my mind is uh, fearful or when my mind is stressed out, my body gets really tense and my posture gets really rigid. You know, so especially with the practice of metta, returning to the body and softening the tension in the body. You know, so I like to say letting your body be upright, And then I do this at the beginning of every meditation, is letting my body be upright and then relaxing my body around the upright spine. And throughout the meditation, I start to get the the meditation leans, you know, or this. I've seen Buddhist monks in Myanmar with their head on the floor sleeping. Uh, That's okay. If you fall asleep, it's fine. Uh, But you want to be mindful and try to observe, right, if you're uh, falling asleep. And you can bring a really gentle kind of awareness back to your posture, and it can help your mind even momentarily have a little bit more alertness and brightness to it. So balancing your posture can be helpful. You can sit, like Mikey said last night, with your eyes opened or your eyes closed. Um, I like to open my eyes if my mind is particularly tired and if it is particularly agitated. Our eyes are a uh, primary sense that registers a little level of threat in our environment. And so if we're overwhelmed and our eyes are closed, we don't feel as resourced. We don't feel as connected with our physical space. So it can just be helpful sometimes if you're feeling overwhelmed or agitated to sit with the eyes open. And I like to just bring my gaze at a soft kind of gaze at a point on the floor in front of me. And sit in a cushion, a chair. You can stand at any point throughout the meditation. Um, I will do this oftentimes when I'm tired. And if I first, I try to work with the sleepiness through my posture. So what I'll do is I'll notice like the heaviness of the sleepiness. And I might just start by trying to track the sleepiness and come back to the meditation practice. If the sleepiness is winning, I might open my eyes. If the sleepiness is still winning, (laughs) I will just stand up and practice standing meditation. Um, posture. Anything that you want to say about posture? All right. 
All right, so the practice that we're going to do today together is uh, we will be doing loving kindness towards a benefactor. A benefactor, like I said, can be a friend, it can be a teacher, it could be a mentor, it could be a grandparent, it could be a child that you know in your life, it could be a pet. When I first started doing loving kindness towards a benefactor, I picked a pet. Uh, I noticed that no one was quite good enough for my benefactor category. <laughs> and my dog doesn't really say much or do much, so it made it pretty easy to feel that unconditional love uh, towards him. So, um, yeah, you can pick any being, you know, and the being, the person or being that you pick can change throughout the day, but it can be good to pick one and stick with one for the duration of a meditation period. Um, because the mind can think a lot, right? And so if we just start kind of moving through the Rolodex of different people we like in our mind, uh, we're maybe just disconnecting a little bit from the present experience. So picking a person or a being and sitting with them for the meditation period. Does that sound good? How we do loving kindness meditation, if you're new to it, is we use phrases. It may take a, a couple sessions just to even learn the phrases. Uh, you are welcome, if you have your own loving-kindness practice, to use phrases that you connect with. And the encouragement is to, it is kind of nice on retreat, we talked about this earlier, to kind of know that everybody is doing the same practice together. You know, and so um, you can also feel free to just Use the phrases that are offered for the day and see how that goes. The phrases that we're going to be using are uh, for the benefactor. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with love and kindness. Those four phrases. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. As we say the phrases, I like to really connect with my heart center, the body, the emotional center of the body. Most people feel this and experience this at the center of their chest. If there are other parts of the body that you feel like are the kind of receptive place where you feel connection, you can just bring your awareness to that place. But connection with the body during meta practice is really helpful because there is a lot of words and there maybe is an image of this person or this being that you want to bring to mind. And so it's easy to kind of get lost in our head, you know, when we're doing loving kindness meditation. So Sharon Salzberg likes to say, when you envision this person, I've been using Mikey lately, actually. I don't know if I told you that. But Mikey's been my benefactor lately. He's just been coming up in my benefactor practice. And so when I envision Mikey, it's like I'm noticing, you know, some of his, his laughter and some of his mannerisms and the kind of essence of Mikey and what I love about Mikey. Essence. <laughs> it's his cologne. <laughs> what would it smell like? <laughs> so I imagine the beautiful, lovely essence of Mikey. And I, and I do, I like to have an image. So I have like a, a vague image. It doesn't have to be super detailed. If you're a very image-driven person, it may be. That's okay. And then I uh, say the phrase. So it's almost like I'm sitting with Mikey and I'm saying, may you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. And as I'm saying it, I'm trying to feel into each phrase as I say it. Sharon Salzberg says it's like putting on a piece of clothing to see if it fits. So each phrase, it's like try it on in your whole mind and body. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. Because at, with time, you'll notice throughout the day, is the phrases can just become, your mind can actually do something while you're not paying attention to it, which is kind of cool to watch happen. Like my mind will be saying the metaphrases, but then I will be thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's okay when that happens. You know, we just notice that. And then I try to come back to intentionally connecting with each phrase. So I might slow it down and just say, may you be at ease. Or I might say the word just ease and really try to connect back to the picture of Mikey and just say ease, ease. Those are the four phrases that we're using. You can use an image, the phrase, breathe in and out of the heart center. Some people like to put their hand on their heart center to try to have that connection with the felt sense of the body. You can do that if you'd like to. We'll have time for questions and comments and things like that after, but let's just, enough looking at the menu, let's eat the food, eat the metta, right? So if you want to find a way to sit that is comfortable within your body's natural ability. And feel free, I want you to check in with yourself. If you would rather have a chair right now, go ahead and grab a chair. Just finding a way to sit within your body's natural ability, allowing your spine to be straight, maybe taking this moment just to Rock the body back and forth to find a place of balance. And then letting the rest of your body relax around the upright spine. You may choose to gently close the eyes or to have a soft gaze towards the floor in front of you. bringing your full attention to the physical sensations of the present experience, sitting still. Just noticing that the body is already hearing, already feeling, already breathing. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. There's no right or wrong way for this experience to be right now. Just taking a moment to really soak in the full range of the present experience. If you'd like, you can scan through the body, noticing any areas of tension or tightness. The subtle body, the muscles in the forehead and the temples and the eyebrows and the cheeks and the jaw. It's really slowly scanning through the body. Breathing in and out of the places of tension or tightness.
just beginning to pour your awareness down into the emotional body. Imagining as if you could breathe in and out of the center of your own emotional heart. Breathing in and out of the heart center, connecting with the intention of loving kindness as you breathe in and breathe out. Towards your heart's deepest desire for peace and for well-being. As you feel into the connection of the breath in your heart center, we can begin to incline the mind with loving kindness by bringing to mind someone that is easy to access this quality towards. Just being open and curious about what being arises into your mind, into your body. This could be a friend or a teacher, a mentor, a child, a parent, a pet. Maybe someone that you don't feel a lot of conflicting emotions around. Someone that's easy to feel easeful towards. Imagine as if you were sitting across from this being so that you could see them. You could hear them, you could feel their presence. Maybe you see their laughter, their kind eyes, their attentive listening, their open heart. Just noticing what you see, what you hear, and what you feel. Feeling into the body, seeing, hearing, and feeling into this being. As you breathe in and breathe out, silently offering the following phrase towards this being. Taking a moment to try it on as you say it silently to yourself. May you be at ease. Breathing that in and breathing that out. May you be at ease. Now trying on the phrase, may you be at peace. Breathing that in and breathing that out. May you be at peace. Continuing the practice with the phrase, may you be kind and gentle with yourself.
breathing that in and breathing that out. May you be kind and gentle with yourself, however things are for you. And now trying on the phrase, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be filled with loving kindness. Now we'll put the phrases together as you breathe in and out of your heart center, holding this person in your heart, seeing them, hearing them, feeling them, feeling the connection with your body. As you repeat these phrases over and over, showering this person with loving kindness. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle towards yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. Keep going at your own pace, in your own way. Remember, it's completely normal for the mind to become distracted during meditation. It's bringing a kind, non-judgmental awareness to the distracted mind itself, like it's a part of your friendship with your friend. After you notice the mind's distracted or wandering, you can simply return back to the breath at the heart center. Start back with the first phrase, may you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness.
pace in your own way, wishing loving kindness towards this friend, towards this being. Breathing it in and breathing it out. Thank you for your practice. We have a little bit of time for uh, any questions that anyone has, clarification that's needed. So please feel free. <clears throat> 